Hey, I want to thank you for joining us. RT with PT, Real Talk with me, Pastor Troy, a bunch of guests, a bunch of conversation, a bunch of topics. Season one coming at you right now. Welcome to Real Talk. My name is Dusty. This is Pastor Troy from Real Talk with Pastor That's Troy. That's right. That's right. Uh, and today we're here to talk about... RT with PT. RT with PT is what that stands for. That's right. We're going to talk about the hit 2002 film, The Panic Room with Jodie Foster. <laughs> Forrest that, that was actually a really good movie. I, I disagree. But really? We've, we've had, yeah. Uh, yeah. Have we had that conversation? I think so. Uh, there was a, there's a country star named Dwight Yoakam who's in it, but he's... A homely guy. Sorry yeah. if you're watching. And so they make him wear. The, he's the one that wears the mask almost the whole time. I know. I know. Uh, and I just thought, you know, but just the idea of it. Is yeah, good. it's a good idea. It is. I mean, I've never been in a house that had one like had an actual either. panic room before, but it uh -huh. would very likely make me. Panic. I've, I've always wanted to find two things. Number one, one of those, and number two, like a secret door. That you just go. Have you ever been to a house that has like a secret door? You I have. Somewhere? I stayed with somebody once <clears throat> and he was walking me to the room that I was going to stay in, except he was walking me into an enclosed room oh. with bookcases. Oh, nice. And I so was did like, you push uh, it and just yeah, open? Yeah. That's crazy. He just kind of reached behind the thing and That's turned it like and the whole thing. Room, I nobody guess. Nobody would know you were there. Except behind it was a massive hallway with many, many doors. It was oh. terrifying. It's like the Matrix. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> That's a much better. Why couldn't your first book have been called The Matrix? Because it just didn't fit the, yeah. the title. Was this, was The Panic Room, the, is this the first book that you've written? Well, I've written, um, I've done a, a two um, devotionals okay. prior that I, that I wrote. And um, this isn't a devotional? No, this is not a devotional. Um, I, I did two devotionals when we did fast as a church. Mm. And I felt like we did, I did 30-day devotionals. And we had music with them and everything. It was cool. Yeah, I music. mean, and they were good. And some of them were uh, input from my staff as well, so they weren't just me. When I started the church, here's the crazy thing. When I, when I started the church, I used to do this email blast. Every week I would send an email that had like a devotional vibe to it. You know, it was encouragement or inspiration or something around that. And I used all those and then wrote two books from them. Mm. And so that was right at the beginning of the church. But this is, this is not a devotional. It's a full-on journey book, basically. It's a book about, it's a biography of the band Journey, which <laughs> no. I love. <laughs> no, it's I'd not. Tell that. me more about Steve Perry and how he came to be in the band. <laughs> uh, so, honestly, that whole time you said email blast, and I just thought, this is why people hate the church, <laughs> it's exactly. email blasts. I know, I know. Yeah, they liked email back then. They did, yeah. I mean, when, when I was coming up, we did the direct mail pieces. Yeah. And your church, yeah. you saved up for years and years, yep. and then you could do one, yep. like, 80,000-piece direct yeah. mail thing. Yep. And ours was the church in the area that was really known for them because we would do Tons the most bizarre, yeah. out-of-order stuff. We did a, uh, a Cadbury egg that was open but we changed the color of the caramel that was coming out to blood. Oh and that God. was our Easter card. Yeah. Oh, that's very nice. Yeah. So <laughs> they didn't ask me to stay long. I don't know why. But um, So it's, it's, it's kind of my first book. Yeah. You know, because I, I don't know if, I don't really call devotionals books necessarily. They're collection. Yeah. They're collection of All information. Right. Yeah. Well, so what prompted you to write it then? You know, I, I felt like, first of all, I never thought I would write a book. 
because I feel like that what needs to be said, other people can say it so much better, you know, than me. And so, however, when I started dealing with my panic attacks, you know, 13, 14 years ago, I really felt like probably five years prior to writing the book, somebody said, hey, why don't you write a book about your journey with panic attacks? And I was like, well, man, that's a good idea. I never thought about that. And then actually the Lord gave me the idea for the name of it right then on the spot mm. that I would call it the panic room because it fits so much with what we were trying to accomplish in the, what I was trying to accomplish in the book itself. And so, um, so it probably took me about five years to, number one, get the guts to write it. Number two, figure out how I was going to write it and then actually write the book. Two years it took me to write it. What would you say to somebody that feels the same way? Because I, I have led worship and played music, but I don't write songs. Yeah. Because I'm a, I'm a professional appreciator of music, and I feel like there isn't, a, isn't any way I could say something better than yeah. the people that I love. Uh, you know. I think there's something in us. I think we all have something in us that needs to get out. And here's what somebody told me. They said, when you write a book, write a song, it's forever. So what you're doing is you're leaving a stamp of who you are on whatever that generation is mm. that future generations can pay attention to. Mm. You know, if you think about the Bible, yeah. you know, the Bible is like... I've read that. Yeah. And so, I mean, think about the impact that the Bible has had. That's and true. The yeah. authors, they probably weren't thinking that way when they wrote, but in realization, the impact and the stamp that they may have made on generations... So when I, when I write this book, I'm thinking this could really help some people in the future beyond me, mm. you know, because I don't want them to think about Troy Maxwell. I want, to think them, I want them to think about the healing and, and freedom they can get when they deal with their panic and anxiety and depression, the emotional illness part of it. So this, this isn't something that a lot of people in, in your kind of position, and what I mean by that is no. pastors of churches, mm -hmm. It, there's that the common thought is that people just have to be together to yep. lead other yep. people. So what gave you the strength or the courage to just be like, you know what, I'm going to put all this down on paper. I'm just going to write about all these things that people are not willing to talk about. Yeah. What yeah. I mean, what was that like? Uh, that's hard because so the the environment I grew up in, it was if you had a problem, pray, read your Bible, go to church, it'll go away. And that was the those were the three prescriptions that you took. Mm. If you missed one of them, then it wasn't going to go away. And so what I found out is a lot of people were dealing with the same issues, doing those three things, and nothing was happening. And so for me, as a pastor, you know, you always want to, you, you feel like the idea is that you need to be kind of above the fray, mm. and people look at you and go, man, everything's right with you, everything's good. When in reality, every time I would tell a story about my vulnerability, would be the times that people would come to me after a message and go, that, was, that message spoke to me more than anything. And I'd say, why? Well, because now I realize that you're real. Mm -hmm. And I can, I can connect with you through your realness and vulnerability. So when you think about writing a book about panic, anxiety, emotional problems, all that stuff, the, the, that is a stigma that people do not want to talk about, especially, I think, stronger in the church because people don't want to reveal those things when in reality, that's what brings us closer together and people need to talk about it. Like, you need to talk about it. 
Well, and now so, more than ever. Exactly, especially what we went through in the last year and all of that. I mean, it's, it's amazing how much we need to hear that voice mm. and those issues brought up. Yeah. Suicide, absolutely. depression, everything on the rise, increasing. Well, and so one of the things I love so much about the book is that it's easy to apply wherever you're at in your life, even if you don't struggle with anxiety. But so what you're saying is you read it? I did read it. (laughs) (laughs) I've read it a couple times. I proofread it, but then I've also I have a copy that someone. No, you helped me a lot. You know, you gave me some good input. So somebody was looking at the copy that I have the other day, and they're like, "This doesn't look like anyone else's." And I was like, "Don't show that to anybody." I don't even know if I'm supposed to still have that, but it is. It does seem to be so prevalent in the church that people don't talk about it, and even pastors specifically, Uh when. I don't know what it is when culture or when when the world that we're comfortable with takes a right turn. I feel like this book is an opportunity for people to see that it's okay to say, "Yeah, I'm freaking out, man." Right? Like I'm panicking. I don't yeah. know what to do. But they don't. Yeah. And I hate that. Yeah. And this is one of the things I love so much when I read it because I just thought if they would pick this up and if they would go through this and they would read it, they would realize yeah. that the the strength comes from being willing to ask for help, from Mm -hmm. being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I noticed when I was reading through the book. There's a lot of personal stories. A lot of personal stories. From your youth days. (laughs) My youth. From from when you were a youth, sorry. (laughs) We're we're dating ourselves now. If you're a a younger person watching this, you may not remember that reference. Another thing that I have noticed that doesn't get talked about enough specifically in the church or by church leaders is the the why do why don't we talk more about counseling and medication when it comes to struggles with anxiety when it comes to struggles with depression or panic why do we steer out of that so much my opinion you know um, is that for for a lot of people it's it's seen as a lack of faith. So if I have to take medication, if I have to go to counseling, um, that means I don't have the faith to deal with my my issue. So that that was kind of what was ingrained in me for so long. You know, if you've been to counseling, you know, the shrink, you're laying on the couch, you're looking at pictures, what's this, that kind of stuff. And, you know, the media has kind of gave a stigma to that. When in reality, when I sit down with my counselor now, you know, we talk about all kinds of stuff. And he is able to help me bring out the areas in my heart that I don't even realize are I'm hiding or mm. I'm not being vulnerable or there's pain and hurt and dysfunction and blind spots. And I just need that person. I need him to help me with that. Um, when it comes to medication, you know, I think that people just you know, maybe it's the substance, maybe they feel like it's going to change me or has affected me in the past. And so they don't want to get in, they don't want to use it. Um, and, you know, it's something you have to overcome. You know, yeah. you really have to do, you kind of have to, I would never tell anybody, you have to do this. You have to figure it out on your own in the journey, in which I had to do the same thing. Because I was on medication for a while, decided I could do without it, and then now I'm back on it. And it's the best thing that ever happened to me. That is a very, very common thing. I've noticed I went on medication when I was young um, and uh, it made me feel so great. 
that I just thought, oh man, I don't need this medication anymore. Right. And then you just stop taking it. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like three or four days into it and my mom would be like, you're not taking your meds, are you? And I was like, no. I'm not doing good. She went, no, you're not. You need to get that going again. <laughs> but there was a thing I, I felt like for me in that time, it was so helpful. Like it felt like it just brought my baseline up so yeah. that I was able to experience a normal range of emotions. Yeah. And I did, I was ashamed. I didn't really want to talk to people about it. Yeah. And I desperately wanted to not be on it. And so I went through those swings and those swings. And I wish at some point someone had just said, hey, this is an okay thing to mm -hmm. be doing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you have to do it forever. Right. Uh, but it's okay to do for right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, and then I have, uh, I've had with my wife and I, we have loads and loads of conversations about mental health, my mental health. <laughs> <laughs> Where she comes up and says, you're not taking your meds, are you? <laughs> but uh, you've been married for a long time. Yeah. 28 years. 20, I wasn't going to say how long. I yeah, didn't want to date years. anybody. But uh, talk about what it's been like to go through this with a spouse. What? Hardest thing in the world. Why? Well, because, first of all, I didn't want to talk about it with her. You know, I didn't want to share it with her. And she knew something was going on, which created mistrust. Mm. You know, so she would come to me and ask me, so how you doing? I'm like, great, fantastic. When in reality, inside, I was a mess. You know, I was jacked up. I was... I was maybe in the midst of a panic attack or, you know, kind of fighting to not have one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wanted to put off to my wife that here I am. I'm the strong father, leader, pastor, husband, all of that. But I wasn't. It, and in reality, I was. Right. But for, for me, because of the shame mm -hmm. of it, because I think that's what a lot of times mental illness calls you to do is you feel shame. You feel broken. Like there's something wrong with you and not that there's something wrong, but there's actually, you're broken. You're a broken person, which is, that's the biggest difference between shame and guilt. Guilt is a wrongness of doing. Shame is a wrongness of being. Mm -hmm. You feel like I am wrong. Not that I just did something wrong. I am wrong. And so for me to confess to my wife, to talk about it to her and say, I'm, I'm struggling with anxiety. I'm struggling with panic was admitting there's, I'm broken when in reality, there were some things in me I just needed to work out. I'm not a broken person. I'm, I'm not a, I'm a broken person, but I'm not, I, Troy Maxwell is not broken. Right. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. 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 How did she respond to it? When, it took a while, and, you know, she's, I mean, she was my biggest cheerleader throughout mm. the whole process, you know, and it was frustrating for her, very frustrating for the, the entire process. She even writes in the book, you know, I wanted to give her some, some book time to be able to share what she went through and people appreciate that to see kind of a different perspective because a lot of people are married to somebody or in relationship with somebody and you wonder why, you know, they're different. Mm. And, it's, and it could be this very thing is causing them to not be open and honest because they feel like if I share this, then I'm a broken person, you know, and uh, I'll never be fixed. Mm. And when in reality, just even the sharing aspect of it is part of the repair. It really, really is. Yeah, it's part and of I the think, repairing. I try to, I think about this all the time, and I talk to my kids about this, and my wife and I talk about it. There is a thing that stops us from sharing those kinds of vulnerabilities, that fear of how people are going to respond, yeah. this fear that people are going to see us differently. Mm -hmm. And then something, whether it's the boldness of the Lord or just the 
flat out, I can't survive until I say this and you just kind of throw it out there. I have yet to find someone that's like, man, I really regret that. I really regret that I opened up and shared this. But even still knowing it, you'll do it again at some point. I feel like you'll just get trapped in that lie that if I'd say this, I'm less. Uh, It all goes back to the garden, you know, mm. because when, when God said, hey, where are you, Adam? He's hiding behind a tree. We always revert to hide behind the bush. We always want to cover the areas of our life that we feel are vulnerable, you know. And so that is that old Adam rising up again when yeah. we don't want to deal with it. We just run and hide behind the bush when in reality, man, the best thing we can do is bring it out in the open and say, God, I need your help or Penny, I need your help or Andrea, I need your help, you know, whatever it may be. Whoever that is, bringing it out is the best thing mm. for you to get it out in the open. What about your kids? You guys talk about this at all? A little bit. You know, not not too much because they were pretty young. Yeah. You know, they were, you know, my, my son now is 20. He'll be 24 this year, 22, be 22, and be 20. And so you go back 14 years, they're pretty young. Yeah. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, somewhere around in there. And that's not, for me as a, as a, Dad, I wouldn't want to put that kind of pressure on them. Mm. Now we talk about yeah, it. Yeah, what about we now? We talk about it now. What is, yeah, we it talk like? about it for sure now. And we make it very clear what we went through. And, of course, they've ha- they have access to the book and everything. Mm. And they're kind of blown away. Yeah. You know, they're kind of blown away by it. They didn't realize that Dad was going through all that, mm. you know, struggling with those things. So. And it always kind of seems. Because a lot of people wouldn't even notice, typically, yeah. you know. Even though they're close to me, they probably wouldn't even notice. You know, I, I was good at hiding it. What? Oh, man. How would you hide it? <laughs> Give your secrets away. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want, I mean, I, uh, I would fake it, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm a decent communicator. Mm-hmm. So I could, I could walk my way through it. The people, like my wife would know. She was like, you were struggling today, weren't you? I was like, yeah. Or I wouldn't. I was lying. No, I wasn't. How'd you know? <laughs> like what? What are you talking about? No, or maybe def- you were struggling. Or I would I get defensive. Yeah. You know, I get defensive mm. about it, which was was immediately because you know, whenever you get defensive, you're trying to protect something that you don't want people to see. Mm. And so, <clears throat> so I uh, um, I was good at that. I was good at just suppressing it, you know, or fighting for it. But what ended up happening over time is I started putting so much energy into not having anxiety, not having panic, that I didn't have any energy left for anything else. Mm. Um, how did that manifest? Like, it how was did that hard, ha- man. Just, you know, uh, defensiveness and, you know, just uh, my, I was lacking in a lot of different areas. Mm. Or I would overcompensate in another area to try to cover it up, you know, whether it be exercise or just disconnect. You know, you just don't want to, you don't want to get involved because you might have a panic attack. You might have anxiety. So you just remove yourself from the thing that could possibly be a trigger to cause you to do it. Mm. And so I wouldn't engage in conversations. I would just say, yeah, I think I'm going to come to that meeting. I'm not going to get involved in that. Or I'm just going to do these things. And then make up excuses when the best way to overcome it is just to actually go after it 100%. I know. That's challenging. It is hard. I still struggle with a fair bit of social anxiety every once in a while. And pretty much everywhere I go, I've got a hiding spot somewhere mapped out (laughs) where I know if I've got to bounce, I can go hide in this room. I'll just tell you, if you work in ministry, 
like uh, unoccupied, let me go ahead and preface it by saying unoccupied nursing rooms at churches. They're comfortable. <laughs> you can see what's happening on the TV. So you just told everybody. I know, now. Now I know. know. You. Now you know where to find me. <laughs> <laughs> yep, those nursing rooms, they're good. Just make sure you knock before you go in because that's not, it's not territory for the guys. But if you continue to do that, then it will, it will spread into other areas of oh, your yeah. life. And for so sure. you have to overcome those. Yep, slowly yeah. but surely. Yeah. For me, I just tell people, like I just give it all up. Just say, hey, listen, this is what I'm struggling with. This right. is how I, yeah. this is what you can. You're good at that. Like if you see me doing this, this is what's happening. Yeah. And that's an invitation. Just come and get me. Yeah. Come drag me out of the nursing room, <laughs> which I'm in alone. Uh, don't want to seem creepy. <laughs> that would be creepy. I know. I don't, I'm never, <laughs> Very creepy. Hey, my name's Dusty. I don't have any kids. Thankfully, I've, thankfully I've never been in there when somebody's needed it. But uh, also janitor's closets. I know where all the janitor's closets are at. Because especially on a weekend, nobody's ever in That's there. That's funny. And people, so this is another thing. People, when I talk about it and tell people I struggle with that, people are always blown away because I've spent the last 25 years of ministry on a platform. Uh -huh. and, and I don't think people understand the dynamic shift that happens when you're on a platform versus when you're, I mean, I, I can even just be a foot higher than someone in a room yeah. and feel like I'm a world away yeah, from them. Exactly, you can hide. But when you're nose to nose with someone, yep. for me the scariest place is always the lobby because mm. then they're just out there. Yep. And people are behind you all the yep. time. And I used to set up a whole circle of people around me, very yeah. low yeah. key, but yeah. so, that, so that somebody couldn't get yeah. me from behind. I mean, I could hide behind my message. I could hide behind my message prep. I could hide on the platform, you know, and it's easy to do. I'm a pretty people person anyway. Mm. Um, but during that time, people knew that I just, I limited the connection, the community aspect yeah. of things, for sure. Did you ever get hit with a panic attack before you had to go out on the platform? No, but really close. Well, I take that back. Early on, yes, a few times. And it was, it was debilitating. One time I couldn't preach. Another time I just pushed through it. The first time it ever happened, I was in Guatemala. And I didn't know what the heck was going on. And, you know, I, I mean, I just, I pushed through it and was exhausted. You know, that's all in the book. Uh, but there were many times where I think I had many panic attacks. Mm. Um, and they usually, ha it's weird, they usually happened in that, you know, in that moment. The thing about panic attacks is a lot of times panic attacks happen because you're anxious about having the panic attack. So you start to internalize it going, I don't want to have a panic attack. I don't, and that's the worst thing you can do because then you'll have a panic attack. What should you do? You really should stop, find a place to sit down. Put your feet on the ground and start breathing and get yourself in a position, you know, just physiologically kind of just take some deep breaths in and start focusing on your breath. Because what you want to do is you want to engage the other part of your brain that has decided just to completely let your fight, flight, or freeze aspect. Um, I'm not a doctor, I don't know all the details of it, but the study, the, the, the amount of study I've done is when you have a panic attack, your body is releasing adrenaline when it's not needed. Mm. And so your brain is telling your body, release adrenaline. And when it releases adrenaline, your heart rate goes up, that's why your hands get a little numb, all of that is a result of adrenaline 
but it's not necessary. So it causes your body to start to function in a way that you should when you have a situation that you need the adrenaline for, mm -hmm. but you don't need it in that moment. And so the best thing you can do is calm yourself down or engage your brain in something that is more logical. For example, whenever I would feel myself getting in uh, a panic attack mode, I'd go in iron clothes or fold clothes or put dishes away. Do something that... I'm sure Pastor Penny appreciated those <laughs> moments. <laughs> but you know, those activities engage a part of your brain that, that is logical because panic attack is not logical. It's mm. the result of, and you know, there's all kinds of reasons why you get yourself in that position, adrenal fatigue, yeah. um, all of those things that, that are a part of it. Man, I, my wife knows something's really wrong when she's been gone for a couple hours and comes home and the whole house is just spotless. Yeah. And I'm just- But you feel better, don't you? I feel fantastic. Yeah. It's yeah. great to be, yeah. it's something, for me, yeah. it's something about being productive. Yep. It's about putting like hands to things because mm -hmm. I can mm -hmm. be so cerebral and so in my thoughts about things. And sometimes it's just like, you know what, that's, that looks like two hours worth of work of the hand, not work of the head. Yeah. And I can just put my hands to it. Yep. And when it's done, it looks good. Mm -hmm. I also like to cook. That's a huge help yep. for me. Yep. Finding something, some sort of hobby that I can dig into. Yep. That, that's, it's very important yeah. because it, it removes that aspect of the fight, flight, and freeze. I'm a flight guy too. I'm out. I'm not a fight guy, yeah. which I'm, I'm, I'm probably still married because of, because I, I've never, ever, never gotten into like picking fights with my wife because I just don't want to hurt her feelings and I don't want her to be upset ever. And so I'm just generally a flight guy, but I, I didn't know how to talk to her about it. In the first four or five years of our marriage, she would like something would happen and I would just be like, I'm out, no talking. Yeah. I would just sit there and stare at her while she would be talking to me. And then finally it just got to a point where I was like, I'm, I'm freaking out, man. I'm freaking out. I don't know what to say. So just, I'm flight. I just wouldn't tell the truth. Mm. So, you know, just because I, I didn't want her to know about it. Neither great options. Neither yeah, of these no, are good options. Learn from, our, learn from our bad example. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even yell at my kids. That's ranch dressing. Even when they deserve it, which is often. But... Okay. All right. Besides indigestion from eating these chicken wings, <laughs> what keeps you up at night? I think, um, I don't want to sound cliche, That's okay. but my passion for God, because I think about my relationship with God, my passion for my family, my passion for the church, mm -hmm. you know, what's going on in the church, because I'd be doing it if I didn't get paid to do it, you know? Yeah. So I really have a, a, a deep desire to see the church, Freedom House, Little C, and Big C, mm. you know, have, have an influence and impact and grow. I'm glad I'm asking the questions because I probably would have just said indigestion. <laughs> None of that other stuff. It's all true, but I probably would have just said indigestion. I haven't getting into Alka-Seltzer lately. Uh-oh. Now you do the tons, and then somebody gave me an alcohol seltzer once, and it was like magic tonic water. <laughs> but now I'm just in the kitchen trying to figure out how to make alcohol seltzer taste better because it tastes so gross. It's really tough. So I tried it with ginger ale last night, but it was really flat. It is pretty ale. bad. Yeah, it's gross. What is something that I should be paying more attention to? You? Yeah. Anybody? Just anybody? Just generally? Yeah. Um, don't say anything about me personally. 
Um, I think <clears throat> the first thing that comes to my mind is self-awareness, mm. which is, you know, basically realizing that we all have blind spots and we need to kind of be aware of what's going on. Yeah. You know, my awareness of how I'm responding to people, how I'm building relationships, you know, the thing that, that, uh, um, that I want to accomplish in life. I was talking to a guy yesterday and we were just talking about that person that, you know, they go to work, <clears throat> just your normal every day Joe kind of person that go to work. What are they living for? And I think it's important to know kind of what your purpose is, what your vision is. Even yeah. if you, even if, I'm not talking about, you know, Dusty or anybody else needs to know 25 years what you're going to accomplish because that would be, that would be, that would be kind of hard to ask. For right. most people, yep. but they should have some type of a one-year, three-year, five-year desire, you know, purpose-wise, yeah. to accomplish. Like this is what I want to do. This is how I want to. The impact that I want to have on people. So, mm. these are good. They are. They're falling off. Off. Just shameless plug the Max Speed Shop. For, Max Speed Shop all day, which is Every phenomenal. I probably would have answered that question with indigestion also. <laughs> Just because, you know, if you leave it unchecked for a long period, that it really did fall. I know. People just say that and then it just <laughs> fell off. It fell off the bone. <laughs> <laughs> so good. It was incredible. <clears throat> I, to, to, be, to sound smart, I probably would have said China. You should be paying attention to China. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I mean, I know China is a country. I know about it. I've never been there, but I hear a lot about it. On the news. You watch way too much news. I really don't, but you know, I, I, every once in a while, I'll find a little clip of somebody saying something that sounds smart and then I'll just repeat it in a public <laughs> setting. Just to make people think I'm smart. Um, speaking of watching things, are you binging anything right now? I'm um, actually, you're gonna laugh. I probably will. Because I am fully into Law SVU, Law and Order SVU. Like, I'm into it. Season nine. You start from the beginning? From the beginning. Oh, that's commitment. Yeah. You are a man It's a good focus. show. Yeah, it is. And yeah. it's getting better. Every episode is getting better and better and better. Well, I think the fact that there are 600 episodes, you don't have to oh, fight for uh -uh, it. It's, uh -uh. People think it's good. So I'll watch. Right now I'm watching Law and Order. I'm watching NCIS. Man. And because I like those kind of shows. You're the target Diners, drive-ins and dives. Always. Fixer upper. Because my... My wife has some projects that she's working on, so she wants to watch that. And then beat Bobby Flay. <laughs> Man, that is. Not that I ever have a chance of beating Bobby Flay, but it's really interesting. However, we, do, we did figure out that it's fixed. It's all rigged. The whole thing is rigged. He it's not you, real. Who told you? I, you can just tell by watching it mm. that, that they pick, so that, you know, the way it works with beat Bobby Flay is you have two people, two chefs, they have to beat each other you know, and then they go to the next level. Mm. Well, what they're doing is they're picking the person they think they can beat, Bobby Flay, as opposed to the person who actually cooked the better meal. Oh, so it's fixed to try to make it harder for Bobby Flay. Exactly, mm. which might be, maybe I'm thinking differently, maybe I shouldn't think about no, that No, it's okay. I think if you would, just in the comments below, just guess how old <laughs> Pastor Troy is based on that playlist of things that he watches. <laughs> It'll tell you something. It'll tell you something about the target hilarious, market. Hilarious. Sure. If you only take three things on a desert island with you. Three and, things. And the wings couldn't You can't take. take the chicken wings. Because I'm going to eat most of these. A telephone. 
<laughs> that gets a signal. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Three real things. Yeah. Probably a, a knife of some kind, you know, so I could survive. Yeah. Um, something, you know, that I could, I probably could figure out how to start fire just because I've watched enough survival shows. It's tough. It's very difficult. That's a hard question. A way to get water, make water. Yeah. That would be, you know, whether I could take, because it's a desert island, I would need to take the salt water and convert it into right. fresh. So if I had something, because you're going to die if you don't have water. For sure. I've heard that. Yeah, definitely die. I'm almost sure <laughs> that's right. And the third thing would be a friend. <laughs> take a friend. They'd probably hate me for taking them, but. Mm, you know. That's true. <laughs> I'd probably just take indigestion from these chicken wings. <laughs> You're getting a little, you're, you're pretty into this indigestion thing. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I'm gonna eat one more and then I'm done. Cause I ate way more before we started filming this. So. That's true. Well, just comment down below if you think he's really only gonna eat one. <laughs> and I will it. personally comment back if he eats another one once we turn the cameras off. <laughs> just so you know. I would take a boat builder. That's smart. Just take somebody that knows how to build a boat. Uh huh. I would do motivational speeches because I don't know how to make a boat and while they made the boat and then I would just get on and leave them there because the next person that gets stranded on the island, they're going to need them as well and I want them to have purpose. That's hashtag leadership, okay? That's what I'm about. I'm about the leadership life. <laughs> Plus, I'm I don't know if they're going to make a boat that two a people can builder. get on. Yeah, know, exactly. just going to take a boat builder. <laughs> mm. You've put a lot of thought into that. I really haven't. Nope. <laughs> It was just the next answer after indigestion that I thought of was a boat builder. Or a good swimmer, I guess. Yeah, but why would you would need to be a good swimmer? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> See, I don't think about this that often. You don't want to swim because you'll get eaten by sharks, for sure. Did they just eat you for swimming? Absolutely. Well, it seems like they'd have something better to do than no, just eat swimmers. No, they, they will tear you up. Well, I'm not interested in getting by a shark. <laughs> I don't go to the beach because I don't like the sand, but I also don't like getting into a collection of water that millions of other animals are in that could potentially do damage to me in some way. It's just gross. Why? Who likes the beach? Why? It's hot, sand. I mean, let's talk about the logistical things. I mean, you got to walk from wherever you park the car out to the water. And it's gross the whole time you're in there and you get in the water and the water just does whatever it wants with you. And then you're gross it's and you're perspective, covered. perspective, man. It's and just all perspective. No. I love the beach. Really? Oh, yeah, I love the beach. Are you like, do you sit and read a book all day, I'm, though? I know, I play. In the water? In the water, surf, whatever. Love mm. it. I love the beach. I don't know how to surf, but I feel like I'd be really good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, maybe. <laughs> you don't have to have good balance, do you? Tremendously good. I'm out. Yeah. I don't, I'm not a very really graceful person. I fell up the stairs. Did you know you could do that? Yes. Fall up the stairs? <laughs> Multiple times. <laughs> this morning. All right, I'm shutting it down. All right. I've had enough. I'm going to hold you to it. I'm not. You keep you eating. started eating way before I did. I have one fry left. That's right. <laughs> it wasn't the best one, but it's still good. Also, we're not interested in any of your comments about talking with your mouth full. <laughs> That's exactly you know right. Just mind your own business. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite superhero? Favorites? I mean, I like Superman. I've always been a Superman fan. 
I feel I like feel Batman like, gets all the credit nowadays. Yeah, but, but he's not even really a superhero. He's just rich. I think that's why. Yeah, I think he's just rich and yeah. uh, mentally ill. <laughs> I really like Superman because he can fly. You know, he impenetrable skin. Until you get the kryptonite. He's strong. Until you get the kryptonite. But every superhero has their own kind of kryptonite, right? Uh, I don't know. What is Wonder Woman's kryptonite? I don't know. The guy. The guy? Yeah, the guy she was in love with. Oh. I messed her up. That movie was so bad. Uh, no, don't talk about it because we don't want to mess everybody if they haven't seen Wonder Woman 1984. Spoiler alert. I know. Don't go see it. Wait till it comes out. Nobody goes to AMC. see anything. It's 21. <laughs> Nobody goes to see anything anymore. I know, but I want. I can't wait till we can go to the movie theater. That's 100%. <clears throat> I want a movie. I want to go and escape to a movie, a good yeah. movie. Mm -hmm. John Wick 4, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> they have. I saw it today. They're coming out with a John Wick 4. That is... The Resurrection is what it's called. Unfortunate. Really? What? Unfortunate? Yeah, it's unfortunate. You oh. will have already seen that movie three times. I know, but it's worth it. The first one I thought was really great. I loved it. And the second one I was like, oh man, that was a lot like the oh. first one. And then the third one I was like, oh. It was a lot like the second one and the first one. I know, but all I could think so about good. the whole time was like... Now he's gonna have to wear a weird little green thing on his pinky because he cut it off so that they can edit that out in post. That's, John because, Wick, you're, that's because you're a video guy. Yeah. You, know, you, you kind of think about those things. John Wick, he's my favorite superhero. John Wick? Yeah. He's a superhero, man. He you know, they, they coined a term gun foo from those movies. Really? Kung fu with the gun. Yeah. Because he does all the karate stuff, but then he shoots you very close. That's true. Close range. That's what we called that when we left. My friend and I went and saw that, and I said, man, they should have just Please called Please comment it. on that. Please. They should have just called that point blank or headshots. Wow. Wow. Don't watch that with your children. No. It's violent. No, don't watch it. It's very violent. That's a very bad movie. All right. Before we go and I eat the rest of this chicken wing, best piece of advice you've ever gotten from anybody? Be patient. Be patient. I share that with a lot of people. Just be patient. Don't be in a rush. Enjoy the wings. <laughs> be patient. Don't, you don't have to rush through life. If you're in your 20s, you're in your 30s, whatever, 40s, 50s, just be patient. Stop. Smell the roses. <clears throat> Enjoy the moment without feeling like you need to get to the next. Mm. You know? Yeah. What do you think? I don't know. I do What's understand. the best advice you've ever gotten? Oh, man. I don't ever have good answers to questions like this. Oh, yeah, 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 I do know. Get along. That's a good one. Andrew yeah. and I went through premarital counseling, and this Yoda-like pastor said, I've got all this stuff I want to share with you about marriages, uh -huh. but if you don't get any of it, just get along. Oh, that's good. And it, for whatever reason, in that moment, I just <clears> thought, <throat> I know how to get along, yeah. which means it's a choice. Absolutely. I'm either going to choose to get along yeah. or choose not to Isn't get everything, along. Isn't everything, though, a choice? Uh... I don't know. Indigestion. <laughs> I, don't, I don't choose indigestion. Yeah, you did. You picked up that wing. I'm going to choose that. pick up another one after this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not promising this would be my last thing. But I am done. Yeah. I've hit the limit. I'm pleasantly full. Let's get them back to the good stuff. That's right. That's right. Thanks for joining us for yeah, our thanks. chicken wing lunch. <laughs> it's good. Yep. All right, so when someone goes to Amazon or Barnes & Noble, uh -huh. or most importantly, TroyMaxwell.com, to get the book, 
and they read it, which they'll be able to do pretty quickly yep. because it's written it's not, so well. Yes, well, uh, what do you short? So that they've done all those. <laughs> it's actually four pages, so it's a very quick read. When they say quick read, we mean it. What do you hope happens? Like, what's the next thing that you hope happens with them? Well, I think you got two different sides of the coin. You got the, <clears throat> the people who are um, maybe reading it that don't have any panic issues, anxiety issues, you know, there. Uh, and then there's the other side, the people who are, you know, dealing with it. So first, I think the first thing, and, and just just like no priorities for me, but if somebody reads the book, I want them to first of all realize that there are other people that are dealing with the same thing that they're going through. Because mm. so I think one of the lies of the enemy is to say you're alone in this. And the whole reason I wrote, the, one of the reasons I wrote the book, and I would say top, top three would be so that people could go, man, if Troy Maxwell can go through this, still pastor a church, still be a husband, and make it, I can do that. Mm. On the other side of the table are the people who know somebody, and maybe they're reading it, because you know you, you might want to buy it just to help you know, your, your spouse, because you don't understand what they're going through. My wife, I'll, I'll just a little in, injection here. Tread carefully there. Don't don't just show up at home with a book about that and give it to your wife. <laughs> just be like, seems like you're struggling. Yeah. Here you go. <laughs> Got you this rebirth day. That's like buying a thigh master for your wife oh, for Christmas. <laughs> it's 2021. I don't think people know about the thigh master anymore. Well, those of you that know what I'm talking about. So I think that um, <laughs> I think that. See now you lost my lost my train of thought. <laughs> I totally <laughs> lost my train of thought. Thigh I was talking about you can get it, it for your spouse. And yeah, we went. Yeah, so you can understand. My wife had no idea what having a panic attack was mm, like, yeah. and so she had no understanding about it. So she called one of my board members and was like, "How do I need to deal with Troy with this?" And he said, "Have you ever had a panic attack?" And she goes, "No." And he said, "Well, let me explain to you what it feels like." And she was blown away, you know. And she was just totally blown away. So, you know, I, she went through sexual abuse and emotional abuse and physical abuse. I don't know what that feels like. I can imagine. But, but she would explain it to me, and I would try to understand what she's dealing with. And there's no way that I could connect with her to a certain level, right. you know. And it's the same with people who are dealing with panic attacks. When you read this and you've never had that happen to you, hopefully it will open your eyes and maybe help you have some more compassion for them, uh, be a little uh, more grace-oriented, more mercy-oriented towards them, and be able to understand, like, what they're going through mm. at that level. Yeah. And it really is an re easy read. It is. You know, yeah. It is an easy read. Yep. <clears throat> um, so, yeah. So, uh, so there's more than just the book. Yeah, there's the study guide. So yep. we did, what, I, what we decided to do is try to make this immersive mm. you know so like if you're going through if you're on either side of the table right you can uh, read the book and then we developed a study guide that goes it's 10 chapters the book's 10 chapters so you can go through the study guide that has 10 chapters as well you can read along with it with scripture and and it, it's not just a biblically based book you could give it to anybody and i think that they would probably catch the story yeah so even a non-christian a non-believer they would they would connect with the story, and I think that's I think that's interesting. The non-believer, because when I look at the book, when I read through it, it's not just a typical 
Pastor writes a how to recover yeah. from anxiety book. It really is a story. It's your story uh -huh. and how you've come through it. Mm -hmm. And then the chapter that Pastor Penny wrote as well and her reflection on how it was. Yep. So I, I look at mm -hmm. it and think it's a great opportunity to introduce people to, uh, to even to our the faith. Yeah. I mean, but just saying, hey, listen, this is a, a pastor of a church. Yeah. And this is his account of a story yep. that he's gone through something like this. So, so there's study a study guide. guide yep. It goes through. And then also in addition, and that's all different content. So there's the book, one level of content, study guide, whole different level of content. So it's different. It's not just regurgitating the same thing. It's actually a little d dive deeper. Mm -hmm. And then there's videos. I did 10 videos that go along with the chapters. So, you know, you, you could have a small group easy with this, simple Simple, simple. People get the book, they read it, they work through each chapter, they use the study guide. You could throw the videos up and all the videos are separate content that just stimulates conversation right. from each chapter. And they're anywhere from five to 12 minutes long. And so they're real short, kind of in your face, simple, easy to watch. And yeah. it, you know, and you can, all of that is found on TroyMaxwell.com. TroyMaxwell.com. Dab it out. <laughs> the, the, the Amazon just has the book and the study guide. Right. The TroyMaxwell.com has the videos that go along. You get the whole kit and caboodle. The whole kit and caboodle. Trying to think of as many references to, to show people how old we are as possible. <laughs> we dabbed, which instantly let them know that I'm not cool. Uh, but then the Thighmaster, <laughs> I think, was the pinnacle. We did reference a movie that is almost 20 years old now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, man, that's something. <laughs> I know you graduated from high school uh, almost 50 years ago, but for me, you know, just experiencing <laughs> 50 years that it was ago. <laughs> just my, Not that old. my 20 just went by it. It definitely, that's funny. definitely that'll, that's funny. that'll create a panic. In your but it mind. really will help people. You yeah. know, that's the goal. The goal is to open our eyes. Um, I mean, it's not going to fix everything, right? You know, reading one book is not going to fix anything, but maybe it'll just cause you to do one. If, if you walk away with one thing, that's, that's when I read a book, if I walk away with one change, yeah. it's worth it. It's worth reading it. And yeah. so that's what I want this book to do is maybe one thing, either on the side of helping somebody or on the side of when I'm dealing with it, I can walk away with one idea, one thing that'll help me with my panic, with my anxiety. So I won't continue to push myself in isolation and remove myself is really what I want to accomplish.